Hello, everyone, and welcome to Kitchen Chat. This is Margaret McSweeney, your host, and I am so glad that you have stopped by my kitchen today. We have a fascinating guest I can't wait to introduce to you two. But meanwhile, if you are a first-time listener, welcome. Just wanted to give you a little bit of background about Kitchen Chat. Kitchen Chat offers food for the senses and food for the soul. Each week when you stop by here, you will hear different cookbook authors, chefs, food experts, a variety of people speak about their passion for food. So thank you for joining us today. I do hope that you will come back to the heart of the home which is the kitchen in everyone's house. And really, it's the heart of the world the kitchen is because everything is always happening in the kitchen. So welcome to Kitchen Chat, and I would like to introduce you to our guest. She is a baking guru, the award-winning author, cookbook author, Lisa Yockelson, who is going to join us in the kitchen today to discuss her new book. It just is fabulous. I have a copy here called Baking Style, Art Craft Recipes. Lisa Yockelson, thank you so much for joining us on Kitchen Chat today. I'm so happy to be here. And it's a rainy day on the East Coast, but, you know, the oven is still going. It provides that warmth, isn't it? It's also the heart of the home, the oven is. That's true. And it's the heart of my home as well. Yes, definitely. Well, first of all, just um, your incredible expertise in in baking. I just want to make sure our listeners realize what um, an honor it is to, to have you on today. You have had two books, um, Chocolate by Chocolate and Baking by Flavor, win the International Association of Culinary Professional Awards. Is that correct? That's right. Well, Chocolate Chocolate was my previous book, which is published by Wiley about um, six years ago. Mm-hmm. And yes, it won the IACP award for the best baking book. And a few years before that, uh, my book before Chocolate Chocolate Baking by Flavor won the ICP award for the best baking book. And so that was very exciting. But here's a little tidbit for all you visitors of Kitchen Chat. And that is that book from Wiley, Baking by Flavor, is going to celebrate its 10th anniversary in February of 2012, this coming February. And as a great salute to the book, it's going to be reprinted in a beautiful trade paperback. It has had multiple printings as a hardback, but now it's going to be printed with the award sticker on it in trade paperback and available at booksellers and online. So that's really exciting. And of course, you know, it's really wonderful to have a book uh, that's 10 years old that still sees the light of day. 
Yes. Oh, congratulations. So definitely, everyone, um, reach out and get a copy of that book. And the books are available on at local bookstores as well as on your website. And I do want to direct our listeners um, to your website, which is bakingstylediary.com, bakingstylediary.com. Diary.com. I will also have a link to it on the Kitchen Chat website on webtalkradio.net. So congratulations on having Thank your you. 10-year anniversary with the Baking Flavor book. Yes, but... And I just wanted to say that while the books, the books are available, just to clarify, the books are available at major booksellers, and online. Not actually through my website, although there is a purchase the book page, which will then help you out uh, to search the links that go to the booksellers. So I don't sell books, but there is a huge page on bakingstylediary.com that shows you all the different places the book can be purchased. That all books, mm-hmm. all three books. That is great, and especially that anniversary edition with the award-winning sticker, too. That's going to be terrific. Well, really that, exciting. Yes, yes. Back to baking style. Oh, listeners, you're going to have to get a copy of this. It is just beautiful. I mean, it looks like a, a cake almost, the bright pink. It's um, uh, like a magenta color with white uh, writing on top, almost looks like icing on a cake. This is the, And then the photographs. Oh, they are just delicious. Um, So, Lisa, how did you put together, I mean, there are like hundreds of pages in this book of recipes and pictures. It must have taken a long time to do that. Well, you know, baking style, as I have often said, um, is is basically 530 pages of deliciousness. It represents a lifetime of baking, put together in a diary format. There are about, oh, well over 200 recipes and 180 full color, meaning four color mm-hmm. images that really capture, as you would say, the art and soul of, of baking mm-hmm. and draws readers in to see exactly how the recipes evolved in my hands. It was a 10-year project. But as I said, references really through the essays, a way to understand how baking came to be, all the recipes and the concepts in my hands. So interestingly enough, baking style is not organized in a traditional way, as many baking cookbooks are. Mine are more whimsically based chapters that offer a magnifying glass look into the essays and recipes that compose each chapter. For example, I have a chapter called Very Naughty. (laughs) And it is very naughty because we have fudge waffles and brownies and handmade donuts, which are my favorite, Mm. and lots of chocolate cake and big, chunky, bulky, bittersweet chocolate praline cookies. That's in Very Naughty. But then there are other chapters that I would say are not so naughty, but 
maybe someone would disagree because they've got, you know, they, they do use butter, which I love. Butter is one of my very favorite ingredients. Aww. So there's all sorts of butter cakes in baking style and cookies and yeast rolls and coffee cakes and muffins. So really it spans not only my lifetime of baking, but all the kinds of things we want to bake at home. And it is just, it's just so well written and photographed and documented and shared in what I've heard described as being a very approachable and comprehensive package. And one thing I find especially helpful, and, and for those who might be new to baking, such as myself, um, you really put together so uh, cogently the terminology of baking, because a a lot of times people might be reading a cookbook and, and saying, what in the world is that? For example, I had never heard of the terminology blossoming. Could you? Oh, well, you think that's, I made that up. Oh, you did? Oh. <laughs> well, yes, that's ridiculous. I that's ridiculous. I do, I do these things on a, on a regular basis. I, oh. um, let me tell you why. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in baking style, the there is a section called the language of baking style. Mm-hmm. And really it discusses all the subtleties of the meanings of the phrases that I use in my book, because I am very interested about not only conveying basic baking terminology, but exactly what I do and what concepts you will encounter that would be in the technique and method in baking style. So I, when I was writing Baking by Flavor, I came up with a way to drive flavor into batters and doughs. And one of the ways to drive flavor into batters and doughs is to really let fruit peel sit in an extract and let it marinate. And I termed it blossoming because it really is. It lets the flavor bloom. So basically, I think I made that one up, but it, it, stands, it stands as a record because I wrote it in an authoritative way, and so I guess <laughs> it is now in the dictionary of Lisa Yagelson baking technique. Yes. So anyway, the language <laughs> in baking style does go through and speak about ways of understanding what it means to beat and blend yes. and dust and dredge and bake. But I also added those little phrases that are my own inter- my own terminology <laughs> so that you understand what I mean by a particular process. And what I love about assembling these sort of code words mm-hmm. in the how-to section of baking style is that you really don't need to know them when you're doing a recipe from baking style. But if you want to sit back and draw on the kind of experiences that I've had in the kitchen and understand what I mean by certain things, you can read them over time. I think that, you know, a lot of, a lot of home bakers are nimble enough to understand through their own baking history how to approach a recipe, especially the recipes in baking style, which I believe are very simple and straightforward. 
But when you want to sit back and really understand why, what an author means by something, like you said, blossoming, Mm -hmm. it's a great way to sit back on a rainy day and read exactly what you mean um, for each baking contest. Yes, and I think these should be like in the Webster's Dictionary of Baking. I, you really capture the essence of it. I, I love, for example, um, uh, the word enrobe, E-N-R-O-B-E. Could you share with the listeners, you know, what you mean by that and a specific example of, um, you know, one of the, the baking um, recipes you would use this in? Oh, sure. Um, in love really means to cover something um, in an attractive way mm-hmm. because we do attractive. We do pretty in baking yes. style. We do yes. very pretty. Yes. So um, I like to describe it really as, as an example, mm-hmm. a confectioner's sugar coating on something. For mm-hmm. example, let's say you make one of those butter cookies that are more shortbread-like that while they're warm, mm-hmm. You dip them from side to side, top to bottom, in confectioner's sugar. So it adds a sweetness and a coating. And that's a good example of enrobing. Okay. Oh, it, it, I just love the the picture words you provide. It just it just really um, is a unique a unique approach and and helps those who are reading the recipes uh, really come up with a creative vision for uh, that. That's right. Well, in robe, I didn't make that up. That's a legitimate word. Oh, okay. so, <laughs> it's not like blossoming, but in okay. robe, you know, it, and also. Um, when you work in, in, in chocolate and you're making uh, chocolate candies, you occasionally enrobe a filling around melted chocolate to make candies. And so that is a, a precisely technical word when it uh, has to do with candy making. Okay, so that is one of the technical words, but blossoming is your word. Well, it, well, it's now official. It's now official, yes. <laughs> that is great. Tell us a little bit about your own baking journey. When, when and how did it begin, and, and how did you become this incredible award-winning, multi-award-winning um, author with, with your, your expertise? Thank you. Well, I began baking when I was seven years old, and my paternal grandmother, Grandma Lily, gave me her brownie recipe. And it really placed the experience of baking in my life very firmly. Um, I baked with my mom a little bit, and I baked with my grandma a little bit, but I had no idea that at age seven, receiving that brownie recipe would seal my professional fate then and there. So I always loved to bake and I would do so, you know, I'm an only child and I would do so uh, on the weekends uh, as I became older and could reach the countertop. And as it turns out, many life experiences somehow directed me to the London Cordon Bleu. I am, a, I am a college graduate of Georgetown University. I have degrees in classics and theology. But somehow I just had this vision that I wanted to be 
at the Cordon Bleu in London. And actually, uh, upon return, I decided I really wanted to pursue a career in the culinary arts, specifically in baking. So I began to chart a journey into journalism mm-hmm. uh, using my literary background to write about baking. And interestingly enough, a baking style is perhaps not only my most comprehensive baking book, but my... but. Basically, I would say the most literary of all of them because there are a hundred essays that accompany the collection of recipes in the book. So, when I started out, I really wanted to write about baking, but I couldn't do that initially mm-hmm. because somehow I got thwarted <laughs> in the process. But I was intrepid. I was intrepid, and I had to write about baking eventually, and I did. Mm -hmm. And I then began to bring my lifetime of experiences from a culinary standpoint and from a literary standpoint into uh, my publishing life. Wow. Oh, so this has really been a journey, and it all started over brownies at seven years old. It did, and I wrote about my grandmother's brownies uh, in an article called Brownies and Memoir in Gastronomica, the Journal of Food and Culture. Yeah. And that was the first article I published in Gastronomica. And subsequent to that, I have published other articles on baking. But basically, it was a very emotionally uh, referenced article that explained how a brownie recipe, that would be my grandmother's, mm-hmm. changed in my hand from one type to another, and then really uh, became the groundwork for my own life career in writing about baking. Wow. What a gift that, that she passed on to you with the love of, of baking. Now, do you, um, did you find yourself over the years creating your own recipes, or did you um, strictly follow someone else's cookbook? Well, over the years, it, is, it has been my mission statement to develop a host of my own formulas for doughs and batters. Hmm. So I would be taking my own formulas and as my baking life, oh, shall we say, moved on in all different directions over the years, I then began to take my own formulas and create multiple new formulas. So one formula was based on, let's just say, let's just use a brownie as an example, a a typical brownie, which I basically recreated into something completely different from an original brownie recipe of mine. I started out developing, for example, my own brownie formula, and then I realized that it wasn't, over time, the best formula that it could be because my palate changed over the years. I wanted a fudgy, chewy brownie from edge to edge. Hmm. Um, I understood that old-time recipes were baked at high temperatures, but the edges were hard. 
and the top was difficult to cut through. And I don't like cardboardy kinds of bar cookies. Right. So right. I began to reinvestigate my own recipes, including, for example, Grandma Lily's brownies hmm. that were more cake-like. Um, and I do make cakey brownies, but they are moister and richer than Grandma Lily's brownies. So essentially, what I did was develop a whole index of batters and doughs, and then even my originally produced recipes or formulas then took on their own life as my palate changed, as baking ingredients were available, um, as my travels have experienced certain things that I thought, oh, this is an interesting concept, putting this in that or that in this. And so they began to have their own life spring out of only the original formulas that I started out with. And to be honest with you, I've gotten rid of some of the original formulas and re-originated my original formulas into something that I think tastes a lot better and works a lot better for everyone in the kitchen now. That, that is just so intriguing, and there's such a metaphor as well as 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 we mature, our taste and palate matures, and and uh, we don't always go back to the exact taste of our childhood. We kind of expand and and add our own twist on it. Some some great life lessons and food for the soul. <laughs> well, absolutely, well. but you know the 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 memories though, the taste memories and the taste. Um, sense are still, sense as in S-C-E-N-T-S, are still important because, for example, I still have the memory and I can, it, it, it just comes over me at every moment that I actually bake them. I still have the memory of chocolate chip cookies baking in our tiny apartment kitchen. And every time, no matter what kind of chocolate chip cookie dough, I make, it's still that collusion of brown sugar, vanilla, granulated sugar, butter, chocolate chips. The memory of that still makes me think of hovering over a cookie tray of chocolate chip cookie dough when I was 10 years old. And the interesting thing is, is that I'm still hovering over a pan of cookie dough. (laughs) Oh, <laughs> that is great. And I love cookies. And, and what is your favorite recipe? Is there one for um, uh, the traditional cookies within, within uh, baking style? Well, I love, love, love my take on the chocolate chip cookie called When Chocolate Chip Cookies Go Butterscotch. Mm. And this recipe is a riff, I would say, on a traditional chocolate chip cookie, except that it uses a lot more brown sugar Mm -hmm. and it caramelizes in a different way during baking. So you have a very butterscotchy type of chocolate chip cookie. Mm. It's identifiable as a chocolate chip cookie. It is not overwhelmingly butterscotchy, but it has just a little bit more vibrancy than a classic chocolate chip cookie. The other ones I love Mm -hmm. is 
would be the cookie that I call melty lush empowered with bittersweet chocolate. So if chocolate chip cookies go butterscotch, has the traditional semi-sweet chocolate chips invading the dough. (laughs) The melty lush ones have pools of bittersweet chocolate and they bake at a higher temperature and bake a little bit flatter with crispy edges and chewy middles. Mm-hmm. And it has all that wonderful melted bittersweet chocolate, those pools of it all the way through the cookie. And oh. of course you just have to have each of them freshly baked. Oh yes. I, I, I can taste it now. This is getting me really hungry. <laughs> well, you know, I do, I do call that recipe chapter in baking style bundles of joy because if you look at it, if you look at the image, I've actually baked all those cookies for the image and they really are bundles of joy. They're, it's a, it's a, it's a massive amount of cookies. There are four different kinds of chocolate chip cookies in the bundles of joy. And what hat chapter. And what happens is that each, if you will read that essay, you will mm-hmm. see that each recipe inspired the next one. And I could barely stop. Wow. Oh, and this, within the book, and I just love how you juxtaposition the essays with the recipes, and, and it's just, it reads like, I, I don't know, almost like a novel of, of baking. <laughs> it's just so Well, well it's my diary, and it's, it's a scrapbook kind of, yeah. kind of book that, you know, that if, if you were to sort of chart your cooking or baking history and annotate the recipes that you love the most, you would perhaps come up with a 530-page book of baking, <laughs> of baking recipes. But really, one of the most exciting things that I was able to do for all the readers of Baking Style is to provide a diary template for turning your recipes into your own personal diary. And I, in, in the, toward the end of baking style, you will be able to see that kind of template, which really allows you to scrapbook your baking memories. But even if you don't bake exclusively, you can scrapbook your baking and your cooking memories. And really I have described this kind of diary like a patchwork quilt. There are many pieces that are stitched together that when they're taken as a whole present a larger complex pattern. So, So baking style, my book can then be extended to anyone creating their own scrapbook of recipes. And this is how I think you should, you should do this for the next generation. You should not only keep your recipes, but you should provide personal thoughts and observations and create a journal because it's very meaningful to see where recipes came from and how they changed in the hands of the cook. And that is just so profound, and that is a great 
idea. And I think part of it is is the honesty, at least for someone that is not as by any means <laughs> a, a guru of baking like yourself, to include the fiascos. Like the other day, you know, I, I was just so busy. Um, you know, just uh, I got distracted and I burned the chocolate chip cookies that I was going to send to my daughter in Boston at college. And I just felt so terrible. But, you know, it, it happens. <laughs> the well, you know, the- I do recount uh, my own uh, baking haphazards because I've had them in my life. Yeah. And interestingly enough, uh, there was one experience. Should I tell you about this yes, one? Please do. That'll make me there feel was so one much experience <laughs> that I talk about in baking style yeah. that has to do with my foray as a young child into yeast baking. Uh-huh. And of course, there wasn't a lot of information on yeast baking available. And my mother was not a yeast baker. And my grandmother had since passed away. I don't think she did too much yeast baking either. And so, but I was, you know, a very precocious child in the best sense of the word. And I wanted to bake rolls. So I made some dough. Um, I persuaded my mother to buy yeast cakes at the market, Um, made some dough. And I think I doubled or tripled the yeast something like that. Oh, well. And it overflowed the countertop, and it went into the dishwasher and gummed up the seals and rendered the appliance, in a word, junk. So we had to get a new dishwasher. Um, And then after my mother got over that fiasco, I insisted on buying lots of butter because I was into shortbread. Mm. But then I stopped that because how much shortbread can you really eat in a week? And I was back to yeast. (laughs) So all these things, you know, and even in my own home, in my own kitchen, there are funny little incidences that have made my baking life uh, very interesting and bring me back into reality every once in a while. Like the time I miscalculated when some rolls would be ready, and I miscalculated it by 12 hours. Oh, no. So I was up until about 5.30 in the morning trying to figure out why these rolls weren't rising when it was actually supposed to be a 12-hour rise, and I miscalculated the time. These things happen, but, you know, this is what makes for interesting stories. Yes. Yes, and you just weave together just these beautiful, beautiful culinary tales. And also, the reader takes away some excellent tips. I love the um, section with baking elements as well as, you know, the baking craft and how you encourage each um, each reader to really develop his or her own baking style. Um, that just really seems to be important to, to find your own style. Well, I like to educate. You know, I think I'm a frustrated school teacher. <laughs> and I'm, 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 I'm convinced of that. And I like to educate, and I don't like to assume that anyone knows anything on purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to begin from the beginning, and I like to explain, I like to instruct. And I like to inspire. And I believe that all of this has been established in baking style because in the chapter that you just mentioned, Baking Craft, I 
go through in reasonably detailed fashion how you make a creamed cake batter, how you make a creamed cookie dough, how you melt, whisk, and combine a batter. What does it mean when you have a cut-in dough, like you make biscuits? Mm -hmm. And I like to explain this because I don't want anyone to lack for information. And in 530 pages, I don't think that they have in baking style. (laughs) No, you have provided the dictionary and the how-to, along with some incredible recipes and lessons in life as well. It's just so beautifully done. And one thing, too, I think it's so important. um, You have, like, shaping um, tools, a section on that, the basics for rolling, the basics for cutting, scraping, and blending, and then talking about the specific kind of knife. I, I just found that so helpful. Yes, in, in the chapter in Baking Style, Baking Shape, Structure, and Form, there is a very comprehensive overview for all the equipment that I think And you don't have to have it all, of course, but if you are buying equipment over time, I think that this chapter offers valid and important information about how to equip your baking kitchen. I even get into plastic wrap because because no piece of equipment goes undiscussed in baking style. But really, when you spend the money Mm -hmm. for the ingredients, Right. And it's your time in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to have the right kind of equipment to make it successful. The recipes in baking style don't require a lot of unusual equipment, except mm-hmm. for, I would say, just a few, like metal ends, those cake-like yeah. little cookies. Yes. Um, but I think most of the equipment is readily available. And the specialty equipment like metal end pens, it is a single function Mm -hmm. uh, piece of equipment. And I think that in essence, that if you want to enlarge your baking repertoire, then you buy that piece of equipment because you can't really make it uh, metal ends really without the, the, the proper pan. A lot of people that write about baking want to tell you, in my opinion, that you can do all this kinds of swapping of equipment. Mm-hmm. And I'm fairly traditional mm-hmm. and also I'm a bit school marmish about it mm-hmm. and say that, you know, um, if you're going to make Madeleines, well, make them the way that they were meant to be made. Um, the rest of it, you know, you can be a little bit more flexible. One to pan against another. You can use a rim sheet pan if you don't have a cookie sheet. But really, honor the recipe and have it come out beautifully. That is great, great advice. Another interesting thing I've noticed as well, and I know we're still kind of in the, the, the actual craft um, and technique of, of the cooking, um, and then I can't wait to get to some of the recipes and your favorite dishes, but one thing you, you um, talk about is clarified butter, and you actually tell the reader, you know, what clarified butter is and, and how to prepare it. Um, would, would you mind just talking a little bit about clarified butter, why it's important to use that as a opposed to one that isn't clarified? Well, clarified butter um, in baking style is really called for when you are glazing the top of a yeast roll. Let me tell you what clarified butter is. Clarified butter 
is basically the essence of butter. Mm. It, it is butter which is placed in a, in a saucepan, unsalted butter, mm-hmm. and heated to moderately high, and then removed, and then with a very dry metal spoon, you skim off the white surface foam, Mm-hmm. And you will see at the bottom of the saucepan, milky solid. The very clear part of the butter is clarified butter. And then I strain it to make sure that there aren't little bits of milky solids in it. The idea of clarified butter is that when you sweep it over a yeast roll or yeast or sweet yeast bread before baking, mm-hmm. it doesn't have it doesn't the the anything that you're baking does not come out of the oven with little blotches it's oh. it's really the pure essence of butter i also like to use clarified butter to brush in onto the surface of a baking pan when it's when it, when a recipe calls for buttering and flouring i like it you don't have to use it mm-hmm. uh a clarified butter for that but the idea is when you do any glazing work with clarified butter, mm-hmm. the, the end result is beautifully golden and pure and flavorful. If you don't use clarified butter, the milk solids usually darken, which will then create little blotches. Now, this is, liter- this is simply, um, for some people, it's simply a, um, a visual uh, element. For me, it's both visual and taste. And interestingly enough, once you've made clarified butter, it keeps really well in the refrigerator. Oh. So you don't, you can, I keep, I have some on hand now. Um, you keep, you, when it cools, you keep it in a, you, you pour it into a covered container and refrigerate it. And then you take off chunks, remelt it uh, as you need it. So this is a very interesting technique. Now, you want to do this with unsalted butter, and you want to do it in quantity of three-quarters of a pound. Otherwise, you're going to end up with, like, a tablespoon of clarified butter. You just don't want to go through the process for one stick at a time because it does keep well. Right. You know what? I have just a very, very basic question, and, and forgive me on this, but what is the difference between salted butter and unsalted butter? And, and why is it important in baking um, to use the unsalted for clarifying? For clarifying or just in general? Oh, I guess in general, just, just in okay. general. Well, first of all, the reason many bakers call for unsalted butter is that it is the purest form of the butter. Salt is frequently added as a preservative, and can there can be up to at, at least a quarter of a teaspoon of salt in a stick of butter. Hmm. If you use unsalted butter, then you can regulate the amount of salt in a recipe. If you use salted butter, then you are wise not to use the salt in general called for in any particular um, baking recipe. So unsalted butter is, is pure and fresh. Occasionally, salt will disguise the age of the butter. So you won't necessarily be able to tell how fresh it is. 
which is mm-hmm. interesting. And while we're speaking about butter, here's my little pet peeve. Would you like to know what that is? Yes, now, butter? Please, please. Okay. I always call for fresh, not previously frozen butter. Mm-hmm. When you are making a butter cake mm-hmm. or anything that's a creamed batter, if you're melting butter for brownies, I don't mind if you use butter that's been frozen and then reheated or melted. But I have found through multiple scientific experiments that using butter that's been pr- frozen and then defrosted, either in the refrigerator or at room temperature, ruins the texture of a creamed butter cake. So I'm always in favor of keeping a few a few pounds of butter. Well, I love butter, so <laughs> let me let me amend that to saying a few pounds, many pounds of butter in my refrigerator. And that's how I do not freeze butter. I use fresh, not previously frozen butter. So basically, you know, there are some recipes where you're just fine using salted butter, as a matter of fact. Um, and, and there is no differentiation, but you really have to be careful because if you want to control, you know, the flavor level in a recipe, you should really begin with unsalted butter. Okay. This, this is so helpful. And that's Lisa's lessons for butter today. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's put that butter to some great use and highlight some of your okay. favorite. I'm sure it's hard to, to choose favorite recipes, but, but ones that, that the readers might uh, really enjoy, the listeners uh, to learn about that uses that butter. Oh, well, first of all, I do have this brownie that uses a pound of butter. <laughs> well, it makes 40 pieces, but, you know. Um, I just I think that chocolate and butter mm. are, you know, the ideal companions for right. each other. I love, I love brownies. I love the blossoming of flavor. Now, that would be a different use of the word blossoming. The blossoming of flavor of the chocolate and the butter against each other, you know, mm-hmm. in brownies. Those are my favorite. One of my favorite recipes, um, which uses less than a, p- a pound of butter, <laughs> would be. <laughs> and and there are many. I just mentioned that there is one. There is one brownie recipe that makes this enormous pan of brownies that uses a, a pound of butter. But you know. Why stint on the good things? Anyway, this other one is confection brownies, and it is they are just wonderful. They are chewy and fudgy at the same time, and I have been known to raid the freezer at night to have a frozen brownie because, I have to tell you, a frozen brownie is, is a terrific snack. The other thing that I love about um, some of the recipes in baking style is that really they can be made in the time it takes to preheat the oven, like my cinnamon breakfast popovers. It's a sweet riff on a classic popover batter. And wow, they really pop, you know? And it's always good when something pops like that when it's supposed to, a recipe. So I'm very happy I have these big bouffant Cinnamon breakfast popovers and some Parmesan and Gruyere popovers. I love, I and love that is, popovers. That is so ironic, Lisa, because I was actually on that page and I was about to ask you about the Parmesan and Gruyere popovers. That is such 
a, a, a fabulous combination. Well, it's very, it's, it's cheesy, but it's gently cheesy because mm-hmm. you can't overload a popover batter mm-hmm. with cheese or else you'll have, you know, popover bombs of some sort. <laughs> so there's just enough to get that cheese flavor in without, you know, making um, door stops out of the popover, which, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't be good in a baking book. The other thing that really took me years and years to come up with um, is to get rid of the cracks on the top of cheesecake. And I've done this, you know, took me, oh, 15 years, I think, (laughs) in my recipe and baking style for cheesecake deluxe. You know, I've always made cheesecakes of all kinds. And about five or six years ago, I was challenged by one of my editors um, in Boston, Boston, my editor at the Boston Globe, because I do... Uh, contribute to currently two newspapers, the Boston Globe and the Washington Post. And she had a reader uh, send her a recipe. I believe it was the reader's mother mm-hmm. um, sent a recipe about this old time cheesecake. It had ricotta cheese in it. And how do you get rid of the cracks? And oh my goodness, it's not performing like it used to. And she, the food editor then challenged me, can you help this woman? And so I just didn't want to give a diagnosis hmm. um, on it. So I got all the ingredients and it actually challenged me to come up with a way not to have a cheesecake crack. Now, cheesecake cracking, really, I thought it was, you know, after many, many years of baking, just one of those things. Yeah. It obviously makes people crazy. Um, it didn't bother me as much as it's done others. I go for texture. I go for creaminess. Right. I go for lusciousness because cheesecake is really a custard of eggs and cream cheese and sugar. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't, you know, too annoyed at that. But apparently this became, you know, something of a issue for people. So I figured out how to do it. And it took me five years, I think to get rid of that uh, pesky little cracking problem on the top of cheesecakes. And you'll have to read all about my escapades with cheesecake Uh, in baking (laughs) style. But one of them is getting rid of those little bubbles on the top Mm. before you put it into the oven. The other has to do with technique and oven temperature and lots of interesting things that you'll just have to read about. And I cannot wait to pour over each page. I've been reading my way, but it's like 500 pages. It's just excellent. And and you can really savor each page and each recipe and, and each story and technique. It's just fabulous. So now I'm going to definitely look how to get rid of the seismic cracks in the cheesecakes. <laughs> so, that plus, you know, how to keep the cheesecake texturally wonderful from end to end. There's a little trick about that, too. Ah. Well, and you know, I wonder, have you seen with the enhancement of technology like the confectioner's oven and and um, just the technology, do you think that has impacted a lot of the traditional recipes? Oh, I hope not. <laughs> Oh, okay. I, I have curious. to say, I have to say, I'm an old-fashioned girl. Yeah. So I like to use that old-fashioned gas oven mm-hmm. uh, in the old-fashioned way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Meaning, I don't like convection. I mean, I personally 
prefer gas. I mean, I've, I've baked in an electric oven uh, with excellent results, um, non-convection, mm-hmm. and I currently have had uh, for years and years and years a gas oven. And I think that while technology can be impressive and offer terrific ways to get from point A to point B, mm-hmm. but I believe in baking, the kinds of things that we love to bake at home are best baked in the traditional way. Okay. And so I like, I, I personally, I love to feel batters and doughs. I like to knead doughs by hand. Um, I frequently make many of my bar cookies by hand. I don't even suggest in baking style that you absolutely have to do everything in a mixer. Right, right. I like to do things by hand. It's kind of, it's kind of enjoyable. It's kind of therapeutic. Mm-hmm. It's kind of going back to how we always did things without massive amount of electrical equipment. Not that I don't think that a heavy-duty mixer, of which I have many, uh, are valuable. I I think that they are extraordinary. Um, But I also, from time to time, like to do things by hand. Sometimes an electric mixer can Mm -hmm. skew something. Yeah. A batter or dough and make it not what it should be. I had an interesting... um, I had an interesting letter... Uh, at a long, long time ago, 10 years ago, from someone that made one of my brownies from Baking by Style. Mm-hmm. Baking by Flavor, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Confusing all these books together. Oh. They really are separate, but in yeah. my life, they're all one big, massive amount of recipes. Oh. So in Baking by Flavor, they said that they didn't understand. I have very few letters like this, and it actually came from someone, not a reader, but someone at the publishing house who, when they first got uh, the collection of recipes, made my chocolate truffle brownies. And they didn't understand why the top lifted. Now, this is an equipment thing. This is my my point here. And I've, I'm thinking to myself, I don't know why the top, I've made those chocolate truffle brownies. And that it is a wonderful recipe for five or seven years. Why, why did that, that never happen to me? The top listed. Why? Never heard that before. So I kept, I, I couldn't, to be honest with you, I had no, I had no idea because I asked if the person who followed the recipe, that's the one thing they say, you know, oh yes, we followed it. Absolutely. Right. So I started talking to a colleague of mine who does a lot of dessert catering and who had just made some brownies with her granddaughter. And I said, can you figure out why the top lifted? Because I specifically said, sift the dry ingredients, whisk, meaning by hand, the melted chocolate, the melted butter, add the sugar, add the eggs, stir in emphasis on the word stir, Hmm. stir in the sifted ingredients. She said to me, Lisa, I think she must have used an electric hand mixer. Oh, oh, well, I'm so proud of myself. <laughs> I went right back to this person. I said, did you use an electric can mixer? And by the way, did you give each one of your children a, a little time with the mixer to make the batter? <laughs> well, of course, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> and so I caught her all right, you know. And so basically, 
it added a lot of volume and air. Mm-hmm. And so my wonderful chocolate truffle brownies, which were not intended to be fluffy or with a risen surface <laughs> or crunchy edges, came out with a risen surface and crunchy edges. I said, mm-hmm. I told you to follow the recipe. <laughs> I did not use <laughs> an electric mixer to be done by hand. And by the way, did you give each of your three children a stir, you know, a, a time with the electric mixer? And so, well, let me put it to you this way. This has never happened in the future. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, this is interesting. This is, this is a function of where technology, mm-hmm. I mean, it would have worked, for example, with, an electric mixer if you just used it very quickly and sparingly. Ah, okay. But I recommended doing it by hand. And I think it's, isn't it, don't you think it's wonderful just to actually be able to take out a mixing bowl and mix something out by hand? Yes. Oh, for sure. And it, yeah, it's just more hands-on and creative and, and yeah. Yeah. I think it's a very soothing act, you know, making something by hand. Not that you don't want to do cakes in an electric mixer or big batch uh, recipes, but making something by hand, I think it brings us back to sort of very organic beginnings. Yes. Oh, yes. And, and you know, I remember um, when I was young cooking with my mom in terms of the sifting. You mentioned the sifter. I haven't... Dude, is that still widely used or has the flour component changed where you don't really need to do that as much now? Oh, no. You okay. always need to sift. Okay. Let me tell you a funny story about sifting. Mm-hmm. I was at a, uh, a very large um, demonstration, culinary demonstration on the National Mall. Um, called Food Expo, Mm. I believe, USA, about five years ago. Uh, And I was an author because my chocolate book, Chocolate Chocolate, was coming out. And so it was one of those impossibly hot days in Washington, D.C., you know, 110 degrees. Everything was (laughs) under a tent. So it was probably 200 degrees under the tent. And we were all, all all the pastry chefs and the chefs were in the back tent preparing uh, their recipe for demonstration and I was doing a chocolate cookie dough from chocolate chocolate and so they provided all the equipment except when it came to the sifter they gave me a sifter about the size of a soup can so um, the chef that was um, beside me was the current White House chef and oh I just I looked in horror at this sister. <laughs> and I didn't want to haul my equipment to the National Mall. So I said, oh, what difference will it make? You know, a sister is a sister. Hmm. So he looked at me. He says, now that you've sifted two cups of flour, why don't you do five pounds with that? And so I looked at him and I said, I think they probably got the sifter from across the street at the Museum of Natural History. <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyway, I love to sift, <laughs> and I, I do so in a very large sifter. No, I mean, I do so in a traditional sifter, the one with the little cherries on the outside, you know, I don't, I, and, and you can do it with a strainer, but I love to sift, and 
you know, it doesn't matter what kind of flour you're dealing with. I'm, now we're speaking about all-purpose flour. Yes. You know, when a recipe, or, well, I should edit this to say, when one of my recipes asks you to sift in baking style, let me recommend that you sift it. And if, <laughs> even if I recommend you're sifting it two or three times, please do that. Yes. And if you don't do that, don't write me any letters to bakingstylediary.com because I will become the school teacher and ask you if you have sifted the flour. Flour compacts. You can measure it if the recipe says unsifted and you measure before you sift. You can measure it. And then when I say to sift, please sift. <laughs> Follow the directions. That's really. And if you don't, don't write me because you know I, I will get. I'll, I'll feel sad, you know, and I don't want to feel sad because these recipes in baking style are really quite lovely. Oh, and yes. if only you follow the directions. I think everyone will be terribly pleased at the kind of confection that you were able to whip up for baking style. Definitely. And readers, listeners, please, please pick up a copy of Lisa Yockelson's Baking Style book. It is 500 pages of lusciousness and deliciousness. It is just excellent. I have to ask you real quickly, who was the food photographer on this? They did a wonderful job. Thank you. Well, I did, as you have seen in Baking Style, I did all the baking. Yes. For Baking Style, uh, no smoke and mirrors there. No. You know, wow. it all looks like it looks. Mm-hmm. And I worked with a wonderful photographer with whom I have worked for my, this is our third book together. Wow. His name is Ben Fink. And he is an extraordinary photographer with the eyes of a poet. Oh, wow. That, that is just a great description because truly it, it looks like you can just pick up these little, for example, I'm on um, the almond macaroons in an embrace of flavor and texture page. Oh, what page is that? Uh, you know what? Let me get my reading glasses on. I think oh. it looks like it's page three or I'm sorry, 245. 245. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, that is, yes, I see, yes. So with the macaroons, they're, they're plump, and they have uh, sliced almonds on the top, and they're chewy yeah. and wonderful. And it just looks like you can just pick up that little macaroon from the page and, and just sample it. it. It's just so well photographed and beautifully baked, of course. And I, I just, I, I'm so impressed with it. And the other thing, how many, I guess, let's start with cookies. How many cookies do you think you've baked in your life? Oh, thousands. Thousands. And thousands. Oh. And thousands, you know, cookies wow. um, are are terrific because you can simply have a multiplicity of flavors and textures, mm-hmm. and that's what's so interesting about cookies. And believe me, um, the numbers, the actual number of batters and doughs, it, it would be almost countless because. One time I uh, made about, this is a very, it was an interesting experiment. Um, one of the uh, big snowstorms here on the East Coast a few years ago, I decided I would just make lots of cookie dough and make them in perfect rolls and put mm. them in the freezer and then 
twisty tied the edges in freezer wrap and that was in, that was interesting there was a lot of snow we had five feet or something like that and I think I had five feet of cookie dough <laughs> which basically was the inspiration for one of the essays in a baking style that you can and one of the essays is called fresh ahead where you can make cookie dough and then bake it off uh when you're ready and that was in the inspiration for that essay called fresh ahead because as i have said in baking style i melt for a freshly baked cookie I don't love keeping tins and tins and tins of things around. I like fresh. Yes. My favorite. Oh, well, this has just been an incredible hour of learning from the guru of baking, Lisa Yockelson, from her latest book, Baking Style. She's an award-winning author and and uh, baking journalist, and I encourage all of you listeners to go pick up a copy of this. Visit her website, bakingstylediaries.com, for um, a lot of inspiration, recipes, and, and to connect with Lisa as well. Uh, however, you've got to read the directions and sift, <laughs> right? <before. laughs> you can connect with me uh, and leave comments and queries at bakingstylediary.com. And the interesting thing is that we um, at Baking Style Diary We reach out to a large, large community of bakers that just love the art of baking. So we all collect together and, you know, share experiences as well. So I encourage that. And once you read through Baking Style and read bakingstylediary.com online, you'll see um, how engaging everyone is together. We're very... We're very, you know, collegial, and oh. we share information. And, of course, I'm posting new essays and new recipes all the time. And now that you're armed with the information that you've got to follow the recipe, I'm sure <laughs> we'll all get along just fine. Oh. <laughs> just kidding. I'm loving, I'm loving my readers, and they, my readers know how to bake, yeah. believe me. They That's- sift when they're told to. (laughs) You are such an inspiration, Lisa, and I would love for you to come back on Kitchen Chat as we get closer to the holidays. I would love to. Yes. I would love to. We can talk cookies and cookies and fruitcake maybe. How fun. I cannot wait. That is just going to be wonderful. But meanwhile, everyone, please stay in touch. Visit my kitchen on Kitchen Chat each week where we have wonderful guests such as Lisa Yockelson who will share recipes for food and life, food for the senses and food for the soul. Please keep in touch here on webtalkradio.net. I would love to hear from you. Please connect with Lisa. And remember, everyone, savor the day. <laughs>